This podcast was recorded a few weeks prior to the sudden passing of Kobe and Gigi Bryant and all others who lost their lives in a helicopter crash on January 26, 2020. In this interview, there was a Kobe Bryant's reference made in general flow of conversation without acknowledging rest in peace as Ben did previously with Eddie Griffin and as I did with David Stern. From the No Referees team, we'd like to send our deepest condolences to the Bryant family and all other families involved. Our thoughts and prayers are with them during this difficult time. Thank you and enjoy the interview. Welcome to the No Referees Podcast, where we have unpenalized conversations with sports personalities on industry news, their grind, the game, and much more. Please check us out on our social media pages at No Referees Pod for up-to-date info on the show. No rules, no texts, no whistles. This is No Referees Podcast. Welcome to the No Referees Podcast. I'm your host, Everest Akajobi. I'm here with my special, special guest, NCAA champion, NBA Sixth Man of the Year, the Drip Lord himself. Yeah. 11-year NBA veteran at the official Ben Gordon, Mount Vernon's own Mr. Ben Gordon. What up, bro? I'm just chilling, man. I'm blessed and humbled to be on your podcast. Man, I appreciate it, man. I'm uh, glad that you have made some time for us today, us being based in Chicago. Uh, we've got a lot of great people around here that still love you, want to hear from you, hear what you got going on these days. And uh, I'm just so excited for you to join us today, man. I'm excited to be here. I used to live in New York, bro. You might not know this. I, I went to grad school at St. John's. I used to I'll always be around every borough. Me, I used to live in Queens Village, so it was a huge Huge West Indian neighborhood. I want you to tell me all the time, like, what's your favorite Jamaican spot, Jamaican food place in New York City? My favorite, all right, so when I'm in, because my mom and everybody's Jamaican, my favorite Jamaican food is a home-cooked food that I eat every day, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. But, like, when I go outside of my mom's house, there's a spot on, I think it's on, it's in a, all the best Jamaican restaurants for me are in the Bronx, like near my house. Okay. So like I go to one, uh, I think it's on, it's called H-I-M. Okay. What they got? It's on White Plains Road. It's on like 237th though or something like that. 237. You a rice and peas, oxtail, curry, goat kind of guy or what? Yeah, all of that. <laughs> yeah, all of that. <laughs> <laughs> my father is a nigerian so i grew up with all all like nigerian uh food african food jamaican food i remember the first time i went to jamaica i went to uh montego bay when i was 16 and the very first thing i remember um getting was some of that red stripe some of that hooray beer you know what i'm talking about Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> your parents uh you know came over to united states uh from uk you know back in the day and talk about how you were raised and you know you raised with the you know the the uk type of flavor the jamaican flavor and the like the, the american flavor talk about that yes yeah, so i was raised uh my mom and my grand by my mom and my grandmother my sister predominantly um and my dad at the time was living in London still. Mm. And so I was I was raised with a combination of different cultures. So like Jamaican culture was at the forefront and then like the British culture. And then like I was learning the American culture. So I was kind of growing up under like three different cultural influences at the same time as opposed to one. How that culture shaped you as you were growing up to be, you know, the Ben Gordon we know today? I think I was just very, uh, like, used to different customs right. and, like, used to different ways of thought and, like, just the way people live. You right. know what I'm saying? Right. So, you know, like, I was a foreigner. You know what I mean? So much like an African person from another country or any type of black person from another country, you come attached to whatever you learn in your household and then you have to adjust to what you're learning in this foreign place. Right. So, like I said, I was kind of having a British and Jamaican influence, but I wasn't 
you know, I lived predominantly in America the whole time. Right. So I was American. Right, right. But then I'm hearing Patois at <laughs> home and at church, and then I'm hearing, like, British accents all the time and eating, like, different candies from other countries all the time and drinking different drinks and, like, getting sent different food. So I'm like, yo, like, I know mad different chocolates. You know <laughs> I was going to think. It was like getting a lion bar or um, a flake from like London and then having like things sent from um, Jamaica and always like talking to my relatives and my family in London and Jamaica because I had like most of my family were in other countries. Like everybody wasn't in America. Right. You know? So I was basically, I never lost my Jamaican roots or my culture or my British culture. But I was like more American, you know, like than the people in my household. Right. So it was like everything I was learning in the household, I would go out into the world and think it was like this is how everything goes in America. Right, right. Like, Damn, this shit is different. <laughs> like everybody's hella different. Like when I leave the house, like I gotta turn I gotta like adapt. Like I can't act like a British or Jamaican person when I go to school because like that won't be really accepted to all the kids like yeah like the jamaican crowd i can mix in with them so right. like i never felt like i like i don't get along with nobody like i could always blend it with everybody right. so like that's what i think that's how i think it affected me the most is it gave me the ability to like adapt to everyone like all races creeds and religions because i had to adapt when i came to everything that was new to me anyway right i kind of understand what you're saying because me growing up I have a Nigerian last name, but I grew up with the American um, culture, too, as well. Kids would, like, tease me a little bit because my last name was African. But if you look at me, you would think that I'm just a regular, you know, African-American kid. I know sometimes kids will try to tease me, but, you know, once they knew who I was and, you know, they accepted me for who I was just a regular, regular kid. Right. And I know that you start, you talk about that culture, like. I know for me at an early age, I was uh, my eyes were open to exploring the world, exploring outside of my city. I just wanted to ask you, did you have that same type of mentality growing up as well? Um, yeah, I kind of did. You know what I'm saying? I kind of I kind of shared that. Talk to us about this, like being from Mount Vernon. You know, Mount Vernon is produced so many famous people, you know, including yourself and Denzel, DMX, all these other different names, Sidney Poitier. Let's talk about Mount Vernon and what it's like for people outside of the New York area. Well, Mount Vernon is like a village, right? It's like a small town. Like, everybody knows each other. Um, there is one high school, like one major public high school. Mount Vernon is like, <laughs> it's a town in, the, it's like the southernmost town in Westchester County, which mm -hmm. is a suburb. But Mount Vernon is like, it has a north side and a south side. And in the south side, is the hood with the projects and everything and the north side is like you know a nice suburban area where mm, okay. like you know like the upper class kind of people live right like everybody on the south side is like middle or lower class right okay so um it's like that type of vibe okay so it's like it has a it got the hood and then it got the nice part right okay um so it's just like any other. It's like any other city, but it's just a smaller city. When you went through the recruitment process, when you were at uh, playing in Mount Vernon, did you decide to go to UConn or any of these other schools that recruiting you? You know, because they're in the the local area, or or did those things play a factor being close to home? Um, that's the main reason why I went to UConn because I wanted to be like close to home. The furthest I was going to go away from home is North Carolina, and that's still close. Mm. So I didn't even look out west. I didn't even think about – well, I thought about Midwest, but like, I didn't even think about the west coast. I didn't think about, like, the, the southwest. I was like, none of that. I wasn't even looking on that. I was thinking, like, okay, anything along this east coast is is um, is um my sweet spot. Right, right. Okay. You got any crazy recruiting stories or coaches popping up at your uh, prom or anything like that or showing up with uh, chocolates at your door? Any crazy recruiting stories? 
Yo, man, I was so I was so tunnel vision that I took one visit to uh Seton Hall, then I took another visit to um Yukon, and I was like, yo, this process ain't gonna be like these other like I ain't like these other high school kids. <laughs> like, I know exactly I'm not playing around with this process. It's the first moment I know where I wanna go, I'm going there right away. Right. <laughs> so I I in my mind had thought that I was gonna go to Seton Hall, but then when um like I was starting to get a feeling that it wasn't gonna be Seton Hall. I was kinda like they were just kinda like there the very first like they were there recruit me hard, like from the start. Right. And they were all the way there to the very end. And so I was like, ah, right, you know what? If I, I, I want to go to you. I want to go to Seton Hall because that's like my friends is there. Like right, I'm gonna go there. Like Andre Barrett was there. Eddie Griffin was there. Rest in peace. Um, Marcus Toniel. Um, like a lot of the New Jersey and Bronx guys that I knew. Mm-hmm. You know, that was my boys, and uh, you know, so I was trying to go there because I was really loving Tommy Amaker, and I remember watching him at Duke. Like, I admired his game. Right, right. So I um, thought I was going in at the last minute, man. I had a change of heart after I talked to Coach Calhoun, and I went on a visit. And so I just, like, went to UConn, visited them. Like, I think it was during the, um during there was no school. Or maybe the kids were at home during that time. And I just remember, like, going back to my block and being on my block with a couple of my OGs and be like, yo, man, it's like one o'clock in the morning. I was like, you know what? I'm going to UConn, yo. I got a, <laughs> feel, I got a good feeling about it. And I called Calhoun at like two in the morning. I called him at like two in the morning and woke him up out the bed with his wife. And I was like, yo, coach, I'm coming. I was like, I'm, so, I'm sorry to call you this late, but I'm coming. You know what I'm saying? And then he was like, yo, I bet. I was like, great news. He's like, you can call me as late as you want with news like that. I bet. <laughs> So I told him, and he was excited about it, and I was excited. And so, uh, you know, we celebrated over the phone. <laughs> and then I celebrated with my boys on the block. Had a little drinky drink. And then, um, <laughs> and then um, yeah, man, the rest was history. I felt bad. I ain't going to lie. I felt bad about about Seton Hall because I thought, I thought I was going to go to Seton Hall. You know what I'm saying? But when I didn't go to Seton Hall, I was happy because, like, Eddie Griffin only did one and done, so he wasn't there. And then, like, um, Mr. Amaker, Mr. Tommy Amaker ended up leaving. You know what I'm saying? So once he left, I was sick. I was like, I made a decision. I should have followed my intuition. I was right. Right. And get the stores. We didn't mention all the great players that came before you. You know, you got legendary program. You know, that was back when the Big East was the Big East. You know, like, that was like the – arguably the best basketball conference in the country at that particular point. Just talk about just being in stores and being a UConn and, you know, what that program was like once you got there. Yo, like going to that, going to that um, program, like knowing that they won a championship in 99 and knowing that, you know, I was coming off a championship the year before I was feeling like good about the program and their history and their guard play in particular, because I was like, if they don't got good guard play, there's no way I'm going to go. Right. And the fact that they had people like Khalid Alameen, um, Richard Hamilton, Ray Allen, like those were like some of my favorite guards to watch. Right. And then, like, and then how hard Ricky Moore used to play. I used to pay attention to that, like being a kid growing up in Mount Vernon. So, you know, when I had a chance to go there, you know, I just kind of, and I have, you know, I seen what Coach Calhoun was about. I was like, you know what? I feel like this is a good fit. Like, even though I love Tommy Amager and Seton Hall and the guys at Seton Hall, I feel like for some reason, like Coach Calhoun is the is the right type of guy for me. Right. And I was right. You know, I right. I was right that I followed my gut, my gut um, feeling. You know, at a young age, and there's a lot of pressure on the line. Um, and I was, you know, the rest is history. I've heard from some people that I know in the business that Coach Calhoun, you know, he's a he don't play. You got any stories from from back then that they could share about Coach Calhoun and 
his don't cross him approach? Yeah, well, Coach, Coach, Coach was a psychologist. Mm. And he was from he was from Boston, so he was like on some gangster shit like him. <laughs> so I'm like, damn, this, this, this dude, like, he should threaten people like, oh, like say gangster shit, do tough shit. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, yo, like, basically, like, this guy right here, like, you just got to play hard as hell for him and he's going to be happy. So once I figured that part out, I was always, you know, I knew how to stay on his good side. Right. And then I was I was the best player on the team. So I could get away with – there's a hierarchy in that. I, I could get away with certain shit. Right. It's like, all right, I'm going to go out here and score 20-some points. Right. The other people? Oh, my <laughs> Give Give me a story about somebody else. You ain't got to mention no name, but give me a story about – Somebody else not doing what they supposed to do. Yo, and- man, I seen I seen Coach in the heat of the moment choke niggas. I seen Coach. <laughs> Yo, man, I seen Coach throw shit at people. I seen Coach like just really berate like young men, like you know what I'm saying, and break them. You know what I'm saying? So that was also a part of like toughening them up. You know right, what I'm saying? Because right, these, right. These guys were undeniably, they were a little soft. I'm not going to lie. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, as a parent, you don't want to hear that that's happening to your kid. But then, like, as a player, you like, yo, bruh, like, you soft. Like, I see why he's yelling at you like this. You know what I'm saying? I see it because I'm yelling at you the same way. And, like, coach is just a maniac when you don't, when you can't. You know, do the things the right way that he's asking you to do it. So, like, I remember going there and, like, having a really good freshman year and feeling really confident about where I stood with the team. Mm-hmm. And then he just recruited, like, some monster players. I was like, damn, yo, he's trying to recruit over me. <laughs> That's a coach's number one job, to recruit over you. <laughs> yeah, so when I saw that, I was like, oh, hell no. You know what I'm saying? I'm about to go into the gym on some Kobe Bryant shit this summer. So, I was working really hard, man. I had a fire lit under me. And Coach would think it was funny that he would get guys that was, like, as good or better than you at your position. But we didn't, <laughs> we didn't think that shit was funny. Like, we took that personal. So, I remember he recruited, like, two guards that was bigger than me and, like, a, like was, like, nice. Like, he he recruited, like, a 6'6 guard from, I think, Lakeland, Florida, um, Rashard Anderson. That was like shot the ball like Ray Allen. Damn, you could you could not block his shot no matter what you did, right? Then he recruited a guy, Denim Brown from out of Canada, that just scored 111 points that, that like his high school season. And I'm like, yo, like 111 points, like this <laughs> fuck must be like incredible. <laughs> and then, bro, like when they came up to the campus, these dudes was pros, bro. Like, like when I tell you there was professional players, like when they came up, I'm like, yo, like I'm in trouble. You know what I'm saying? Because I didn't, I, I didn't know, like, not that I thought that they were better than me. But I'm like, they're so good that they're gonna compromise the way I'm playing in my minutes. Mm. Like, I'm just speaking highly of those guys because, like, literally, like our pickup games were like better than the real games. Because you got to remember, we had two sets of pros. The guys coming off the bench were pros. Wow. Played in the NBA or played professional overseas. So, like, the pickup games, like, the level of competition and the level of intensity that guys used to go at in the weight room, on the track, like, everything was so competitive that I didn't even have time to enjoy college, like, as a regular student. Like, I went to zero parties. I have no girls. <laughs> I was, like, I basically was acting like I was in jail. Man. Because I was, like, it's no way I'm going to be two hours away from home and not playing. <laughs> right. Because, <laughs> like, it was that serious. Like, if I would have went up there and, like, just really enjoyed the college life, and like enjoyed the white girls for the first time, I'd have been <laughs> fucked up. You know right, what I'm saying? Right. Like the dudes on the team was too good. Right. Like that was the way I separated myself. Was like, all right, I'm just, I just got to go sit down. I got to go do a bit for three years, and I'm not, and I'm only going to the gym, class, and my room. 
after that third year, that magical year when y'all won the national championship, all those things you talked about, being in the weight room, basically committing to your craft, being in the gym, doing extra, every playing pickup games to for maybe four or five hours where the game just became even easier. Talk about just how y'all made that magical run based upon all y'all's training and stuff y'all did behind the scenes. I mean, all that training and all the blood, sweat and tears and the fights and the arguing and the competitiveness, it like not only prepared us to beat anybody in the country and beat NBA teams, like that's how good we are, we were, but like it like gave us a bond, like it gave us like lifelong bonds with people that didn't even make it to the league, that even transferred because it was too competitive. It was like the way we used to compete and help each other become better players and better men and like better teammates, it was just like unparalleled to anything I've ever been around. Like, and it would be like if you played and you lost the game or you lost that day, you just knew like, damn, like, how am I going to get a win tomorrow? Like, I feel like I can't compete with this player. And then the next day it would be the other player doing that. Mm. But like me, like every time I stepped on that court and, and pick up or anything, I was like, I'm not letting nobody win no games. Because <laughs> it was too, com- it was like too competitive. It was like the games were, it was like too much competition. So like losing pickup games can mean that now when you go into practice, this guy got an extra, you know, edge on you in practice because he feels like he could beat you. And then in the game, he's going to start playing like he's the man. Mm. So I was, I was always very cognizant of that. And I was always, like, very aware of how hard I had to work in order to maintain, like, my dominance. And then, like, once I did that on my team, then I could go out and play against my opponent and know, like, that I could do the same thing to them. Y'all had pros, like you said, on the bench, pros playing, starting. I just felt like y'all program. Y'all was nobody better than y'all that year. We had a hell of a team. So when you decide to come out, you go through the whole draft process. You coming out, there's a ton of good guards coming out, you know, like Telfair and Jameer Nelson, Delonte West, these guys. Talk about some of those pre-draft workouts against some of those dudes. I just did the same thing I I set out to do. I just dominated every workout, bro. Like, I ain't gonna lie to you. Like, <laughs> every workout I went to, I set records in the workouts. Like every workout I went to, they were speechless after the workout. They was like, "Yo, like we never seen somebody work out like that." Wow. It was like, like we never seen somebody make this many shots without missing. They like, "Yo, we never seen somebody this skilled." We like, yo, we never seen somebody do this to the guys we bring in here that we think it's just competition. Mm. So I was supposed to go between 7 and 12. As soon as I worked out, they was like, nah, he got to be the first guard taken because, like, there's nobody in the draft like this. Mm. It was bad. It was like at certain workouts, like, the the staff members was looking at me making faces like, ooh, ooh, like... (laughs) I was like, yeah, I better stop doing that. Like, <laughs> y'all distracting these, y'all distracting these other players. And then, then when I knew, like, I had worked out for Chicago, I worked out for Chicago, and I remember I had a workout for, I think, it was either the Clippers or I think the Clippers might have had like the fifth pick or sixth pick or something like that, and I think Phoenix. And then Chicago was like, yo, like, they worked me out, right? But then during the workout, towards the end of the workout, I think I had got banged up a little bit. And then um, it wasn't that major. It was just like, I think I might have banged my knee against somebody else's knee. And so I started limping, like, temporarily. And it was like, yo, yo. They was like, nah, like, end this shit. We don't want this knee to <laughs> So uh, They basically told you to shut it down. They was like, shut it down. <laughs> and I was like, damn. I'm like, nah, I'm good. I could go. I could go. There's like, nah, fuck that. Shut it down. <laughs> so the after the workout, dad came and they was like, yo, like, we don't want you to get hurt in here. Like, we've seen enough anyway. Like, you're our guy. We want you to come back. And so you could do a physical, like a physical and do the uh, 
this the other part of the workout that we have for you. Like we want you to come back in a few days. So I'm like, yo, I can't be doing that. I got to work out in um with this team, excellent, you know, such and such a team. So they was like, yo, bro, like we got the third pick. Like fuck them, fuck them niggas. We got the third pick. <laughs> so I'm like, hmm. So it's like, whatever you do, don't say nothing. They was like, matter of fact, don't even go. They told me to, like, they told me to do some sneaky shit, like, so that, so people like didn't see me traveling <laughs> back to Chicago. Like, I had to like use an alias and all this, and, uh. like all this some weird stuff. So this is my first introduction to like, yo, this shit is about some snakes in the NBA. Mm. So I was like, all right, well. They got the third pick. That'll make me the first guard drafted because I know I'm not going number one and number two. Like Dwight Howard and Mecca already had those two spots mm-hmm. sold up. So in my mind, I'm like, yo, really? I'm the number one pick, yo. Like, <laughs> I was I was thinking like, yo, I'm the best player in the draft. Right. So, so what was that feeling when you finally get to draft night? Commissioner David Stern, rest in peace, calls your name. And you walk across that stage, like, what was that like for the whole Gordon family making the move from overseas and being foreigners? Tell us about this, how that felt for the whole Gordon family at that particular time. We were elated. Like, we were on cloud nine. Um, (laughs) Cloud 10. (laughs) We was on cloud 11. (laughs) The whole hood was there for me. My family was there. We was all dressed nicely. Everybody's face was shiny. Niggas had Vaseline on their face. Niggas had the cocoa, cocoa butter. butter. <laughs> you know, niggas, boy, they love that cocoa butter now. Yeah, the you good cocoa, cocoa butter. butter. I had that shit on my lips. My shit was glistening. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I'm about to go. I had that shit in between my in between the crease of my hand. I'm, like, I'm about to shake David Sturham. My shit ain't going to be ashy tonight. <laughs> no, let me tell you, bro. I'm going to tell you. I almost ended it. I, don't, I was so hyped when they called my name. I'm going up the steps, bro. I almost missed the steps. <laughs> I'm like, yo, it's no, it's like God was like, nah, BG, we can't have you fall tonight. I was definitely supposed to fall on my face. <laughs> but um, somehow I got up there without falling, and then um, shook his hand, and I was just like, yo, like that moment, like that whole day. It was just like I remember every single moment, like. And I remember I knew that I was going to get drafted to the Bulls that day. Because, like, when you get drafted that high, they kind of, like, tell you. Right. Like, they kinda like, let you know, like, look, look yo, there's a good chance you're going to this team. Right. So, like, probably, like, that week of the draft, like, in the beginning of the week, I think I had known that, like, it was a, it was pretty close that it was going to be Chicago. But it's like they be lying, too, so you don't <laughs> really know. <laughs> right. You don't really know for real until they call you. But, like, at the draft, like, since there's, like, you know, they got to pan the cameras and everything, they tell you, you know, before, like, before you see us reacting, um, like, on the camera, that like, yeah, we got drafted, like, you know, right before that, like, they come over to you and they tell you, like, yo, you're going to the board. Right, okay. They tell you, like, kind of discreetly, like, look, don't be surprised when you're going to this team, and then they kind of prepare you to get the hat, mm. like, to get yourself together. Right, right. So I, I knew, like, a couple of days in advance, but I didn't really know until, like, that night. And actually, I knew, like, that day. I was walking through the hotel lobby, and, then, like, I was seeing different agents that was respected or whatever, and they was just saying, like, yo, you going to the Bulls. Like, congratulations. I was, like, I was kind of, like, playing it off. Like, yeah, yeah, all right. But I kind of just wanted to keep even kill and not, like, expect something and then be disappointed. Right. So... You know, I was I was a, I was a composed guy like pretty much my whole life. So I'm um, like handling news like that. It was okay for me because I was I already had like a professional mind frame, you know, from the jump. But I was very happy that I was going to a city like Chicago, and that was a major market. Yo, you ain't living your life right. Pick up your device right now. Well, if you're driving, stay focused on the road, and hit that subscribe, follow semicolon, period, whatever you got to ensure that every week your eardrums is buzzing with our new episodes, all right? I'm subscribed. Yo, you subscribe? All right, we good. Let's get back to the show. When you got to Chicago, where'd you live at initially? 
Yo, bro, I remember I got to Chicago and they had us up in um, Deerfield. Okay. In this like in this little residence inn, and I was just like, <laughs> "Yo, Chicago's whack as shit." <laughs> and they like, "Nah, bro, this is not even Chicago. This is like North Shore. This is like this is like, this, this is suburbs." Yeah. So I was like, "Oh, for real?" I was like, "Yeah, you just drive like the twenty five minutes into the city, bro. You just everything there you want." Then when I finally went to the city, I was like, "Wow, like mm-hmm. this place is like." This place was amazing, and it was a summer, it was a summertime. Oh, summertime, shy. So I was turned. I was going out. I was playing pickup. I'm like, yo, I love this place. <laughs> and um, I learned like real quickly, like where to go and where not to go. Yeah, for I was, sure. I was seeing certain shit happening. And they're like, nah, bro. Like, don't be going to this side. Don't right. be going to that side. Stay away from the south yeah. side. <laughs> yeah, but I was all I was still going there because I didn't know no better at first. Right. And then, like, I had to get I had to get used to how um, segregated Chicago was. Very, yeah. So obviously, I'm going to the places that everybody's telling me not to go because I see my people there. Right, and your people that's what you're used to. Yeah, that's what I'm used to, like from where I, from where I come from. But they're like, nah, they're like, nah, G, you gotta go over here. Mm. But, so then, uh, like, but over there is not what you're used to. Yeah, but then, like. I kind of was connected with the right people, so I didn't. It didn't really matter where I went, mm-hmm. but like the people who was like looking out for me, who didn't know, like they're just like you know, it's better to go over here as opposed to going here. You had one of the most uh, historic uh, rookie seasons in NBA history, winning six man of the year. Y'all had one of the youngest teams uh, age wise in the NBA, so and you know you your lifelong friends, you know, that I see on your Instagram and social media with some of the guys that you play with early on still to this day. So I just wanted you to talk about, you know, your rookie season and your first couple of seasons in Chicago, any cool stories you may have some hazing stories, you know, uh, boo-ray stories from the plane or anything like that. Yeah, I definitely do the hazing shit. Like, like, I didn't carry no bags, none of that. <laughs> but but you saw that though. It was like five other. It was, it was six rookies that year. Wow. But like in the beginning of the year, I was loading the plane and like getting donuts and shit. <laughs> and then I was like, "Yo, I'm about to score twenty in the fourth quarter yo, and all this shit." <laughs> like, I remember one night I was like, "Niggas, I I did something like that, right?" And then the next day, they was like, yo, B, you go um, get the donuts. And I was just, like, coming into practice, like, late, like a vet. Like, not late, but, like, right before. Like, nah, bro, man, that shit is over with. So I was looking at the other rookies, like, yo, man, like, I'm tired, bro. Like, I had a long night last night. Like, oh, I had a good game. Like, you didn't even play yesterday. Like, you should go get <laughs> So then, like, the people, then, like, the trainers were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Ben ain't, you know what I mean? Ben don't got to do that. Like, you know what I mean? Make sure, yeah, it's five of y'all. You know, normally, it's one rookie. So, like, between the five of you guys, you guys make sure that they have this stuff, you have the bags on the plan and things like that. Who are y'all vets, you know, your first year uh, on y'all team? Um, First year, I think we had, like, Antonio Davis. No, 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 he came another year. Oh, um, Adrian Griffin, Eric Piekowski, um. Like, Adrian was, like, really, like, my bet. You know what I'm saying? Because right. he's the one who spoke to me the most. Mm. Like, he's the one who gave me the most wisdom and, like, told me what to do and what not to do. Right. Like, I really had – I still have a bond with him. You know what I'm saying? Like – He's coaching now, right? Yeah. hmm And his kids go to school um, in Westchester. Okay. They're, they're, they're really good. You know what I'm saying? So, I saw him um this past summer. At um, I think it was one of the NBA events, like something in Vegas. Oh, summer league, matter of fact. I saw it on um, him. I chopped it up with him a little bit, and he's doing well. And now uh, we just shared a few stories, like, and it, you know, it's just like good when you build genuine bonds with people like that, where it don't matter how often you're around. Toward the end, I think I read something where, um, when I think when they drafted uh, Derrick Rose, there were people in Chicago or the the media people was like, you know, y'all can't coexist. Y'all can't play together. What was the behind the scenes talk between y'all? Like, yo, we can go out here, we can do this shit. F everybody. Yo, me and Derek never spoke to each other, bro. Really? Wow. It was like two Kawhi Leonard's on the same team. Like we were both introverts. Mm, okay. 
it's like he's the type of person he'll come in the room and say what up to you and then like that's it I'm not saying another word for the rest of the day unless somebody make me talk mm. and I was the type of person to come in say what up to everybody crack a couple jokes and then that's it like I'm not saying much the rest of the day so like we had awesome chemistry like we would communicate with body language and like in the heat of the moment and like just knowing each other's game. You know what I'm saying? Like, so we didn't really have to talk about a lot of stuff. Like that was out the gate because like I was watching Derek when he was in high school at Simeon. I used to go to his games and check him out. Mm. And I'm sure he was watching the Bulls games and like his older brothers in them, you could tell like they really taught him how to play the game because he was a real point guard. Like he would pass the ball to me in my spots that I liked it. He would tell me to shoot the ball when I was missing. He knew my game, you know what I'm saying? And we had a common respect for each other. And like that's like a brother of mine, you know what I'm saying? Like to this day. So um we only played one year together. Mm. You know what I mean? Our bond is my our bond is still like really tight. Like we still talk mm. outside of, of basketball and things like that. We talk more outside of basketball than we did when we played together. What's your thoughts on today's game? It being positionless basketball where a lot of big men are playing like guards. You know, you play like really in two different eras where like bigs yeah. like bigs like Shaq, Dwight Howard, Tim Duncan, like these back to the basket kind of guys. And you also played in this era where like guys like Kevin Durant, Anthony Davis, Djokovic, these kind of guys play on the wing. What's your thoughts on just, you know, being a wing player guard on today's game, how it was versus when you play? I think it's soft, man. Mm. I think it's getting softer and softer. Like I have a hard time watching it now. You think that's because of the rule, the rule changes, or just how like the kids come up in AAU and come from college, one and done? I mean, what or combination of all that? It's the rule. Mm. The people who run the show are making the game quicker and faster, and like less contact and softer. And mm. making the uniforms tighter. <laughs> Uniform tighter. <laughs> yeah, notice this shit get keep getting tighter and tighter. <laughs> Nigga shorts keep getting smaller and smaller. I gotta stop watching this shit. <laughs> hey, when you got drafted to the Bulls, any of your homies uh, from the block or any, anybody back, you know, you was going to Bulls, like, yo, you gonna be wearing all the fresh Jordans now? You know, tell MJ to give us some J's. Anybody say anything like that? I told MJ to give me some J's. Nigga was like, nah, yo. They need you over there, Nike. Oh, wow. Like, damn. All right, for real? <laughs> That's tough. I think he was tapping, though. He just probably, I don't know why he didn't sign me. I, I, I remember asking him multiple times, like, yo, man, you sign me over to the brand. It's still Nike. Right. <laughs> and they came to me. They was like, look, you know, the way this thing has worked out, you know, they kind of broke it to me like that, but. I was trying. I think it would have. I think eventually, like, if I would have came back and asked him again, like, a few years later, maybe he would have did it. But I asked him, like, kind of early in my career. Yeah, you should have got uh, your UConn brothers ripping uh, Ray Allen to get you in the door. Yeah, I don't know, man. Maybe I wasn't, like, the Jordan brand, like, type of guy. Like, like maybe they thought I was too quiet or something. What was it like, you know, going to Detroit? And then you know, you know, going to Charlotte. You know, talk briefly about those, uh, ex- those, uh, those stops and those cities. Would you believe that after that Boston Celtics series, I didn't even get a phone call from Chicago? Wow, I was so surprised. I was so like shocked. You know what I'm saying? I thought that the way I played in that um, Boston series, that they would have like reached out and just been like, you know, good season. You know way to stay, you know, way to compete, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, we don't have enough cap room or whatever. Mm. But I didn't hear from anybody. So I was just, like, really shocked. Like, okay. And then, um, so I signed with Detroit because, like, that was the only offer I had. It was a qualifying offer, right? No, I signed to Detroit for my second contract. Second contract, okay. My last year with Chicago was a qualifying Qualifying offer. offer, okay. And... You know what I seen the other day? I seen Tony Allen the other day. And he reminded me. He was like, yo, bro, like, you signed for the qualifying offer during your contract. Yeah, he was like, that's the most gangster shit I've ever seen. <laughs> that's why I remember reading that. That's why I said that. I remember reading that. 
he's like, yo, bro, like, people don't be doing that. And then I remember when I did that, right, they started writing all these articles talking about, like, what happened to guys who did that before. Mm. It was like a fear tactic, like a scare tactic. Y'all read that article? I remember it was like, right, that shit ain't gonna happen to me. Like, I'm better <laughs> than all the niggas on that list. So I was just, like, cocky with it, but humble at the same time. Right. And I remember, like, yo, he brought he brought me in the office, and you know what he said to me? What he say? This old Jewish man looked at me. He looked at my black ass. And he told me. He told my hungry ass. He said, look, man, the worst thing you could do is come out here and bitch and complain and moan because you ain't get what you wanted. Damn. I looked at him and I said, first of all, why would you even say that to a nigga like me? Like, do I even <laughs> look like that type of person? Like, when have I ever complained about not being a starter or anything? Right. You know when, when have I ever not played through injury? And he was like, well, just wanted to tell you that I have a good practice. And I was like, wow. Damn. I, I was like, the disrespect. Like, wow. So I just, so I just went downstairs and then. The whole gym is filled with media, just for little old me. Mm. And all they want to talk about is like, yo, do you know that um, this player went from averaging this amount of points and then he didn't take the deal and then he had his worst season ever. And then, you know, this guy, this happened to him and this guy got hurt. They started playing that game with me, the mind game. Mm -hmm. So I was just like, yo, honestly, like, I'm not really focused on, you know, what might have happened in the past. Like, this is my year. This is, you know, my you know my season. You know, I'm going to go out here and play to win. I'm going to be a good teammate. And I'm going to cheer my teammates on. I'm going to just be the same guy I've always been. Like, you guys draft me, I'm going to play hard. Speaking of those mind games, I'm, I'm, I think I read something re recently where you came back to Chicago, I think, uh, a few months ago. October 6th. Yeah, October 6th, you came back, you know, and you were talking about an article. You were talking about your bouts with mental health and all the mental issues that guys recently, like Kevin Love and DeMar DeRozan, you know, they're speaking out on it. Uh, what's your what's your thoughts just on that's a, a hot-button topic, you know, of the last year or two, not only with um, just the general population, but with athletes in general? You know, kind of just give your take on it and, you know, kind of advice you would give to players um, coming up, you know, we may have some type of mental health or mental issues. Well, I'm going to address the general population first because they're the first ones to be talking about players and all this type of stuff. And my opinion, and an opinion is like a butthole. Everybody got one. Right, right. My humble opinion, everybody I know is a little crazy. <laughs> now, as far as the athletes – Athletes have a different form of mental illnesses than a person working to a nine to five. Like, here's why. Because, like, when you, bec when you become a t an 18 to 21-year-old, 22-year-old millionaire night, um, you got to think, man. You, you're given a, a very impressionable a very probably reckless and a very like naive type of a person like lottery money. Mm. And so what happens is when you get that kind of money, you just become more of who you already are. And so if you're giving somebody that young, that kind of money, it's like, you just gave an immature asshole like millions of dollars. Mm. I use that word asshole as a term of endearment. They're not an asshole. It's like, a very good person, right? Right. I'm saying like the mind frame of a jock. Right. Because once you leave college, you're not a student athlete anymore. Now you're a straight athlete. You're a professional athlete. Right. In order to be a good athlete, you have to have like this selfish, like narcissistic, like superiority kind of complex in order to play well right. you kind of have to have like this delusions of grandeur type of feel about you like a lot of audacity a lot of spunk you know what i'm saying so you giving somebody like that that kind of money without any financial like education or experience with that money then it's just like it can ruin you 
Mm. So like that's why you see so many basketball players that don't make it. Then you see basketball players that are out of the league for two years and then they're flat broke. Like I got some horror stories, bro. Like I lost money, you know what I'm saying? But I also saved money. Right. So my whole thing is like it's people who didn't save, they just lost money. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So they don't have no cushion. Yo, man, I just seen people, man. Writing, having their checkbook like laying around their car and like just giving it to their boys and then they and having the joint autographed already. Like, yeah, y'all just take it and then like however much I need, just go ahead. Wow. That's reckless as hell. And I used to be like, yo, these niggas, this this nigga can't this particular I'm not even gonna tell you who it is. This nigga was in high he came out of high school, so he was dumb as shit. (laughs) He might have been he might have been special ed in high school, so he probably was never going to class. Right. But I'm saying that jokingly, but at the same time, it ain't his fault. You know what I'm saying? He's living his dream, and whoever is helping him should have not allowed him to have his own checkbook. Do you think that's the responsibility of the agent or the team or mom and dad? Mom and dad. I was about to say parents that to educate these kids because you hear about all I'm gonna this say stuff. Mom, I'm going to say mom and dad because if my son get millions of dollars, I'm going to be on his ass. <laughs> because <laughs> you hear because you hear so many horror stories about guys going broke and like you know like your antoine walker situation and you know guys out of the league after one year or two years and it's just it just mind boggles like the general population where you see uh athletes making these millions and millions of dollars and then next thing you know they broke or you see some kind of uh nbc article they working at the drive through passing out burgers or something Yo, bro, I know these dudes. Personally, I seen these dudes in the midst of going broke. While they were spending that shit, I was watching them. Like, in awe. I'm like, man, let me keep my little dollars in my pocket. <laughs> I'm going to spend this nigga's money with him. Ben Gordon got a lot of stuff going on of our own. You know, you got that popping. I see that you really, really heavily involved on your uh, Instagram going live all the time with your fans. Oh, you be saying that? Yeah, I be saying all that, man. Yeah, I see, you know, you do your workouts, you do workout regimen, stand in the gym. You a monster and a pimp, you know. I see all oh, that stuff. Yeah, yeah, I see that. So tell the Ben Gordon fans out there who've been following you just what you got going on these days. Yo, I don't do much, man. I just be chilling, bro. Like everything on live is is just to amuse myself because I don't even be having that many followers. I just like looking at myself on the camera. <laughs> yeah, I see you with your church flow the other day. You had the you know the white the white blazer with the black butt up, and you just stand there just looking looking at the at the screen. I'm like, what is being doing? Is it a beer or what? <laughs> Yo, the funny thing is, I'm like, yo, I do everything on live, so why not put people on live in church? Like, a lot of my followers, they need Jesus in their life anyway, because I be seeing how they be talking to me, man. They need Jesus. <laughs> Talk about uh, of our own. You know, get the people some insight about that, that project and uh, your, your, your facility you got. Of Our Own is a platform designed to encourage trade relations between blacks and minorities. So, like, that's the mission statement. So, Of Our Own is not, it doesn't, it's like bigger than I am. It's like, um, like, you see how Nipsey got the, the Vector 90? It's something like where add subsidiaries under the corporation that are minority owned and minority ran. Okay. That's it. Okay. Any, uh, anything you want to have your fans look out for, you know, in 2020, anything coming soon or anything you want everybody to be up on? Um, for 2020, I'm coming with at least one book. I got four ideas. I'm right. And then an audio book to match each book. And I'm coming with, um, like with an application, Come with. A, I'm working on a documentary. Mm. I'm working on like every for every book I'm talking about. It's four different ideas. Wow! Like I'm gonna do visuals and audio for it, so it's gonna be like a full gamut of like content. Okay. Well, the the one of the main things I want to salute you for, brother, is besides 
talking out about the mental awareness. You're still out there hooping. I see you giving the knowledge to the young kids. But the one thing I want to really salute you for, my brother, is being uh, very, very, very involved with with your children's life. You know, I'm I'm a father. I really love the fact that you, a young black man, you're out here being a good role model for your children. And I just wanted to make sure I told you that personally. That was one of the main takeaways I have from when I follow you on social media and uh, through the years. Uh, you being a great father and being there for your children. Yeah, I'm the best dad in the world. <laughs> like I cope, I cope, I co-parent three different children. You know what I'm saying? Like I got three, I have three different children with three different people. So I literally live in all the places that my children live at. Wow. Well, that's so, so I have to, I live on the road. Like I live, I spend time in each state that they act. So there's nothing nobody could tell me, you know what I'm saying, about my kids or like about my my fatherhood or my manhood for that matter. Or like how gangster I am. Because <laughs> like that's some real gangster shit. You know what I mean? And like for people who don't understand like what that's like. And like imagine like being in the NBA season and having eighty two games a year and having to travel, you know, being on the road and living out of suitcases. And um, you know, like just like not knowing when you're gonna see a kid sometime, you know, but still showing up. Right. You know, and then like having to FaceTime the kids a lot because you can't see them. Right. And then um you know, like just missing stuff all the time. Right. So like trying to find out ways how you could, uh, you know, still stay at the front of their mind, even though you're not in the household with them all the time, you know? Right. Well, I want to thank you brother for coming on no referees podcast today, man, sharing some of these great stories from, um, from your history, from your past, present and the future. Everybody, please go follow him at official Ben Gordon on Instagram. Um, He's always live. He's always showing you what he got going on. And he's a great follow. Uh, please go follow him. I just want to say again, thank you, brother, for sharing your stories. Oh, my pleasure. It'll be more to come. All right. Appreciate it, brother. Thank you, Ben. All right, man. Thanks. Thanks for listening to another episode of the No Referees Podcast. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening to this show. And rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on social media at No Referees Pod. Till the next episode, we out.